0: Welcome to Election Profit Makers. It's a mood. That's it, that's the tweet. Yes, queen, slay. Okay, it'll be our pleasure. My name's Kid Midas, the original Wave Rider, and I'm joined in line by Long John Silver. We're two social media stars who've turned our attention now to the political world in the hopes of making some changes in this godforsaken planet we call Mother Earth. We are leveraging our millions of adoring fans that we've made through our buffalo wing eating contests and our amazing pranks that we do at the dollar store as well as our Limp Sync videos. And we have decided to use all of that social capital to advocate for positive change. That's right, folks, we're not just storytellers, we're also change makers. United together in the hopes of creating a better world for us and our followers. Listen to the numbers? (laughs) More like listen to the podcast hosts you've come to know and love, namely me, David, and my friend, John. Anyway, it's another Monday. That's right, we're recording this on a Monday rather than a Tuesday. We're switching it up this week. Gotta keep you on your toes. That's the key to an engaged citizenry, ready for anything. A mobile rapid reaction force of our audience. You're the Navy SEALs of podcast listeners, and that's why you're number one. Osama bin Laden? I don't see him around anymore. Perhaps because our listeners killed him with extreme prejudice. Anyway, it's another Monday, so it's time for another episode of your favorite podcast. That's right. The one you're listening to right now, you dang, goofy idiot. Election profit makers. The aggro boys are back.
1: Just kidding. Yeah. Hi, John. Yeah. Hey. How are you? I'm great. That was a um, – you don't write any of this stuff. I don't know if, Dave, mm-hmm. if people people don't know. David just does this like he's – like he's doing. Good morning, Vietnam. This is my morning just, I just, Yeah, this
0: is, my, this is how I get my blood my blood going in the mornings. So yeah. The first thing I do on these mornings, I stumble out of bed and roll into my little podcast studio and just start rocking and rolling, man. Yeah, that's right.
1: You're on the West Coast. I always forget
0: that. West Coast, best coast. The best coast, right? That's what they say. And you're over there on the rest on the rest of the coast, the East Coast, mm-hmm. the Beast Coast. Hmm. Who would win in a battle of the coasts between the best coast and the beast coast? I guess the beast coast would win, right? Yeah. That sounds tough. They'd go beast coast. Beast coast? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. I bet I could convince New York City Mayor Eric Adams to start referring to the East Coast as the beast coast. I bet I could get paid for that idea. I feel like Eric Adams is open to a lot of really stupid (laughs) ideas.
1: You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a good idea. The Beast Coast. I've heard the least coast. Oh, that's rude. Who would ever say that? Yeah. I probably somebody on the on Oh the, on the West
0: Coast, right? On the
1: West Coast. Yeah. Or as I or as I call it, the Molest Coast. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh you know, <laughs> it's a busy Monday morning. A lot happening. We're
0: recording this on Monday, April twenty fourth, everybody. And we woke up to – I woke up to a lot of news, a lot of texts from John Kimball. John, what's going on in the world this
1: morning? Well, I had a doctor's appointment this morning uh, on video. You ever do one of those doctor's appointments where you have to get on video and talk to them? I always get nervous because there's all this technology involved. No, I've never done that. Well, I did it. It's like it's like what we're doing right now. You got the audio and all that stuff. I'll be the doctor. Right. Let's
0: recreate it. So, John, okay. um, I'm looking at your charts. Your, your health is um, – looking pretty
1: good. Why, why, what do you need from me today? Uh, well, I just went checking in because, you know, COVID kind of turned everything upside down and I haven't oh, really yes, seen you- Oh, yes, COVID. I had many patients
0: with COVID. Um, three... no, 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 are you no, no, feeling no, no, no. today?
1: I don't have COVID. I'm just saying that I've tried to see you a few times in the last three years and it's been difficult. So- and apparently, it is still difficult because now we're doing this on this video. So that's how it went. But well, she was I'm very
0: sorry. But John, I'm a popular doctor, so I'm busy. Would you feel more comforted if I had no other patients other than you, and you could see me at any time? I hardly think that would be a recommendation of my character or professionalism. That's that. Now that we're done with uh, diagnosing you as having an acute case of complaining itis, <laughs> let's get down to the real issue. What's going right. on with you? Patients? I need
1: you to fill this prescription for me. Can you Oh, do yes.
0: That? I see it right here. 500 milligrams of shut the fuck up pills. Well, I'd <laughs> yeah. be happy to give you those. Yeah. Just kidding. What What yeah. kind of doctor am I?
1: Uh, she's, she's used a dermatologist. I Got actually I should, I asked her to look at a spot on my face and she was like, yeah, I'm doing that because we don't do that over video. So.
0: Oh, you have to be in person. You know, it's interesting. I went to see a dermatologist last week to get some moles looked at. Yeah. Yeah. So we're both
1: seeing dermatologists. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's time to take care of stuff. But, it, but you know, so while that was happening, other things were happening. Uh, Tucker Carlson, the bombastic host of the Tucker Carlson Tonight Show. I think that's the name of it. He took over for Bill O'Reilly seven years ago, was fired today or we came to a mutually agreed um, separation with Fox News. That's a really big
0: deal. What happened there? Why is Tucker Carlson leaving? Tucker Carlson's never been more famous or
1: more adored. Well, that's a good question. So some people are saying, oh, Tucker Carlson is going to run for president. Tucker Carlson's Uh, not going to run for president. Get real. I think he could. If he does, I think it's a reaction to him uh, being let go here and he doesn't and then he decides, I'll just spin this into something good. But I think if that was the plan all along, he wouldn't have left the way he did, which was his last segment. He said, I'll see you on Monday. And he was like eating pizza with some guy. So it was kind of a weird last show. So he's already was eating pizza show.
0: on his TV show. Yeah, yeah. Was it like a bit?
1: Was he doing a funny bit about pizza? I think it was just like sort of a lighthearted. Yeah, we're here. Maybe it was like a pizza tycoon who you know hates gays or something, and that's <laughs> why he was on. So they were. I I, I don't know. Right. Okay. Uh, but it was was not the type of farewell that you have when you know that you're you're leaving. So so it was an
0: unexpected
1: termination of a contract or something. Right. Was this a result of some other news that happened this week? Uh, The Fox News Dominion lawsuit settlement.
0: That happened last week when we were done recording. Fox News settled with Dominion voting systems for like
1: $787 million at the very last minute. Right. Which a lot of people were disappointed in because they thought that uh, there should have been an on-air apology uh, as part of the settlement. That would have been great. And then all of Fox News viewers, would have the scales would have fallen from
0: their eyes and they would have been like, oh my gosh. Now that right. my favorite TV personalities are apologizing for their deception, I realize the error of my ways. Why, I've been absolutely hornswoggled. Martha, get in here. We've got to start voting for progressive policies. This news network has really been pandering to our basest interests. Why, we've got to turn our whole
1: political ideology around. Come on, guys. Yeah, yeah might not have made a big a difference, but more money would have been good. But still, that's a lot. Of money, and that will make an impact for Fox. And maybe that had something to do with them parting ways. But why? They've settled it already. The past is done. Maybe that – either that was part of the settlement that hasn't come out yet. Oh, that was a secret condition of the settlement? Dominion was like, I, you I have d- f- I, feel, I feel like it, that would have come out, that we I would know that. I think that would have leaked. So – or it just could be that Fox is like, we need to go a different direction. This guy is, is a bit of an embarrassment to us and or that Murdoch said you know what we we Murdoch doesn't like Trump maybe he's and and uh Tucker is a big time Trump guy so this could hurt Trump whoa, 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 ha- whoa. not having Tucker on the air
0: i thought one of the things they revealed in those fox texts was that tucker hates trump and called him like evil incarnate
1: yeah but he but
0: he promotes trump Okay, because Trump serves his white nationalist interests. Right. Could it have anything to do with the fact that, and I didn't realize this until very late in the game, this Dominion lawsuit is not the only lawsuit that Fox is facing over their host's erroneous claims concerning the 2020 presidential election. There's a whole other voting voting systems company that's about to sue them or has sued them. Right. smart I can't believe that's the real name of a real
1: company. Yeah. Actually, it's a pretty good name. Yeah, it's fine. Um. Yeah. I I don't know what it – Why was O'Reilly let go? They finally Uh, had just –
0: Longstanding and multiple cases of sexual harassment resulting in
1: payouts of tens of millions of dollars by Fox News. So O'Reilly was out and everyone said, you know, the ratings are going to be awful and they'll never be able to replace him. And Tucker Carlson has done just as well. So it seems like they could just replace him with another demagogue that would do The same type of thing, unless Fox got rid of him because they no longer want that. They're about to hard pivot to responsible investigative journalism. No, no, but to to just bring it down a notch. I mean, I, I think, I, I think you could argue that that Tucker Carlson has not been good for the Republican Party. Mm. That he has, you know, driven the Fox viewers very, very far right, and he has this incredible influence. And then in From there, that influences the party.
0: Uh, This is slightly disappointing to me because only yesterday on a phone call with our mutual friend, John Kay, did I finally understand everything about Tucker Carlson. John Kay gave me the source code to his entire personality, his entire career. Do you know the deal with Tucker Carlson's mom? Is this common knowledge? Yes. Oh, that his mom was like a bohemian free-spirited hippie who abandoned mm. him as a child to run off with a bunch of hippies. That's why this dude like started wearing bow ties before most of us have fucking hair on our chins. Like, right. It's all right there. I had no idea. And that's why he hates women so much. I mean, it just, he's just, it's seeds. all mommy issues. Yeah. Am I the only person on earth who has no psychological issues that can be traced back to his parents? Am I the only one, the blessed individual who has no psychological issues whatsoever and scoffs in the face of the many therapists that he's seen over the years on a lark because they have nothing to teach him because he's perfectly well-adjusted. Thank you very much. It really does come down to – how can that be true? How can it be true that stuff – that elections are being – Attempted to be overthrown in part because people's parents didn't love them enough. Because that was the same deal with Trump. Yeah. His dad used to hit him and didn't hug him or whatever. And the same thing with Tucker Carlson. How can it still be in the in the age of chat GPT and virtual reality and high speed modems? How can it still be that our entire cultural and political landscape yeah. is determined by people who have unresolved issues with their mommies and daddies?
1: Are you asking seriously? Yes. What's up with that? Well, I, I think that's the case with everybody. I think everybody's major issues probably come from their parents or their upbringing, not because their their parents are necessarily bad. It's just that that's the, where you had the biggest – that's where you're most influenced when you're – I'm sure that – yeah. But you're saying they're unresolved, that he should have gone to therapy over it. Yeah. You know, that meme where
0: they say men will literally try to overthrow the government rather than go to therapy. Yeah. Like that's actually what the case is here. It seems like.
1: Yeah. I mean, in any case like Tucker Carlson, therapy would be exactly what he wouldn't want to do. So yeah. In, in cases with men like that or women or just people in general, that, that, yeah, they're in trouble.
0: Wowie zowie. Now, Tucker Carlson wasn't the only high-profile media figure to be let go. I'll say that even before the Tucker Carlson news drop, the CEO of NBC Universal was uh, terminated, I think on Friday, for an inappropriate relationship with a woman on staff. I read about that. That's Hollywood news. But now, John, I have news that another person, a more of a household name, Don Lemon, has also been fired. What's going on this morning? I don't know which one was Don Lemon. Was he the one who was kind of sexist?
1: Yeah, yeah, very, very sexist and made some some inappropriate comments and just sort of uh yeah pompous, arrogant sort of diva type mentality. I think people are cleaning house. Yeah. So who is uh, Chris Hayes going to be next? Speaking of Chris Hayes, he
0: interviewed North Carolina representative and TikTok superstar Jeff Jackson last week. Jeff Jackson is having his moment in the media spotlight. John, thank you for the opportunity to pivot to some news
1: from the old North State. I'm Jeff Jackson, and I'm telling you the truth about what's happening in Congress. You are so skeptical of Jeff the Jackson. The people month. in Congress are actually not telling you the truth. But <laughs> I am Jeff Jackson, and I am Telling you the truth. Why do you hate the Jeff truth, Jackson so much? It, I don't know. It's too polished. It's too
0: smooth. You told he, me you thought he was lip syncing to his own TikTok videos.
1: <laughs> I I, th- I think it is is. Just the audio is so crisp. It's like, um, you know, the movies, they don't do real audio. They go into the studio afterwards, right?
0: Look at Johnny Hollywood over here discussing yeah. ADR. Okay, tell us right. how Hollywood is that what it's really called,
1: ADR? Right. So he's doing ADR. Mm-hmm. It's clear to me that he goes back and then he gets in front of a professional uh, studio mic in a studio. Because there's no mic present in front of him.
0: He could be wearing a lavalier mic under his
1: shirt. It's it's such amazing quality.
0: We need one of our listeners who is a real sound professional to go watch some of Jeff Jackson's TikTok videos and tell us – they're obviously scripted. So it it is possible that he could read it once for the mouth movements and a second time into a high-quality microphone. Yeah. So when you first told me that, I was extremely skeptical. I was like, no way. He wouldn't bother. He just has a fancy phone and good sound. You know, maybe there's someone standing over him with a boom mic or something. I don't know. Maybe that would be too much. But then I started watching his most recent video and I was like, yeah, maybe he is lip syncing. I mean, people can get pretty good at lip syncing these days, you know. Then you told me that everyone on TikTok is lip syncing. And then I started to feel my whole world crumbling around me. That can't be true,
1: right? I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people on TikTok are. Um and because some people don't do it very well, and you can, you can, you can see. I have never noticed someone on TikTok lip syncing sloppily. Maybe I'm too gullible. Maybe somebody will write in and say, John, you're crazy. You just have some weird audio lag in your software. Yeah, in your hearing it, aid software. Let's not forget which one of us wears hearing aids. <laughs> That's true. Just kidding. Your hearing's
0: probably better than mine because I have tinnitus. Oh, my God. They're ringing in my ears. Oh, my goodness gracious. So Jeff Jackson was on Chris Hayes because he's having a moment. And Chris Hayes was really complimenting him about how smooth and polished he was. And why are you making these explainer videos? Why are you blowing up on TikTok? Then Chris Hayes turned to the case of Cotham. You'll remember the North Carolina state representative who switched parties from Democrat to Republican to ensure a Republican supermajority in North Carolina. Republicans celebrated that by like introducing like five or six anti-trans pieces of legislation that I'm sure she's going to support. Chris Hayes was like, what's going on with your girl over there? Jeff Jackson was like, I have no idea. He had no insight. He was like, I don't know. I find it very strange.
1: I don't know what's going on with her. Interesting.
0: That, Is that interesting?
1: You, I don't know. I don't know. Do you, you want it? I thought you were going to talk about Chris Hayes saying that he would look like he was created in an AI lab. Oh, right. He said that it kind of dissed Jeff Jackson. A little bit. And then Jeff Jackson was like, well, thank you for having me on the show. Jeff Jackson probably closed off, you know, turned
0: off his Zoom and was like, that fucking Chris Hayes. I would love to meet him on the streets of Windsor Terrace, Brooklyn. I'll pound him within an inch of his life because Jeff Jackson's a military guy. He's tough. He is? I didn't know that. Yeah, he's in
1: the National Guard. He's running for president someday. I was thinking senator at some point.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Let's keep going on the North Carolina news tip, actually, because now you've reminded me that the governor's race now has an official entrant. As we predicted, Lieutenant Governor and 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 frothing homophobe Mark Robinson is going to run for governor on the Republican ticket. The News and Observer published a weirdly fawning profile of him last week. Talking about his life and where he came up with all his political convictions and pulling himself up by his bootstraps and yada, yada yada, included the fact that at the time of his birth, Mark Robinson's father
1: was 71 years old. That's an interesting piece of political trivia. And he was the second youngest of 10 kids, so there was another so there was another kid after that.
0: I didn't know that was physically possible. He must be the American politician with the oldest father. I mean, Mark Robinson's father has passed away, obviously. He died before Robinson graduated high school. No surprise if Right. Robinson was born when he was 71. But that's like, that feels like a, I don't know if it's significant to Mark Robinson's character or anything, but like, that's a pretty interesting number. When we talk about, listen to the numbers, these are the types of numbers we're thinking about. 71. Yeah, 71 years old, and it still works, if you know what I mean. Wink, wink. The penis producing semen. Yeah. Right? Um, the seed that fills a woman's womb so that a precious life may be introduced into God's creation. Right. You can still do that when you're 70, 71 years old? Some guys,
1: yeah. Wowie zowie. So, yeah, that must have had a huge influence on him because I bet this guy was a bit checked out uh, as a dad at that Point. And also, even if he wasn't checked out, when your dad is from three generations different than your f- peers' fathers, then you have a, a different upbringing, obviously. Just like
0: me with my parents. And my parents were only about 10 years older than all of my friends' parents because my right. parents started late. So people often re- mistook my dad for my granddad also because he went gray prematurely mm-hmm. or Right on time, I guess he was just old from the get go. And I suppose being raised by older parents has given me a sort of—I don't know—a a sort of um, conservative and buttoned-up affect. You know, I don't—I never ran around and listened to hippie music like like everyone else. Like when you guys were out partys- partying with Tucker Carlson's mom, dancing to the Grateful Dead. I was at home studying my Greek and Latin classics, you know? Mm-hmm. I was from an older generation. That's right. You would say, hey, David, let's go to this concert. It's by a really fun band called Guar. And I would say, no, thanks, John. I'm going to go to a Bill Haley and the Comets concert to watch them rock around the clock. Yeah. Clocks, right? Time, the numbers. Again, it comes back to the numbers. Listen to the numbers. And rock. Turn out, huh? And rock. And rock, yeah. Speaking of rock. Oh, my God. We have to get to our corrections. We'll be right back with some corrections. Well, we're back and it's time for the corrections. We made a lot of corrections online. Lo- I mean, we made a lot of mistakes. Oh, see, there's another mistake. I'm caught in a mistake vortex. <laughs> My whole life is a mistake vortex. But let's focus now on, on the many errors that we committed during Election Profit Makers episode 204 of last week. We received uh, boundless, countless corrections, and we want to acknowledge all the errors we made. So our listeners can be forewarned as to how to seriously to take any future pronouncements made on this podcast. Oh, John, where to begin? Why don't you start?
1: Okay. I have discussed this um, with my significant other, and I said to her that um, two of the mistakes that David made I knew were mistakes and that I thought David was doing a bit but nobody's going to believe me when i say that so they're just going to say no john john is just embarrassed that he he also was wrong about these things but i really the when you were singing heart of rock and roll i knew that that was huey lewis you did i yes and i thought you were just being funny because if if my memory is correct it was before that that you were sing- singing, It's a Small World, Charlie Brown. And I need to ask you, point blank, I sent you a text, actually. Are you going to ask me
0: to resign like Tucker Carlson and Don no, Lemon? Is no, that what's happening but, here?
1: But when I saw that on the list of things that were wrong, I was like, well, yeah, of course that's wrong. That was the joke. David was being funny, and so I sent you a text and said, wait a minute, you were that was a bit when you were doing that, right? And you told me to save it for the pod. So now I'm asking you point blank, when you were singing, it's a small world, Charlie Brown, you were making a joke.
0: When we were talking about Disneyland last week, or Disney World, or whichever fucking Disney property we were talking about, and I mentioned it's a, tr- it's a small world, as I said it, I said, do you remember that ride, it's a small world, Charlie Brown? As I was saying it, I realized I had fucked up, that it's it's a small world after all. But in the moment of saying it, I wasn't doing a bit because I have all these old Charlie Brown books, like old anthologies of, you know, early peanut strips. And it always says something like, like, you're a good guy, Charlie Brown, or you're a good, you're a good man, Charlie Brown. That was, you know, or Snoopy's back on his bullshit, Charlie Brown, or... I'm going to move this – they always ended with Charlie Brown. So for some reason, childhood associating these things, it's a small world, Charlie Brown, tumbled out of my mouth. As I was saying, I was like, that's not right. But then I decided to double down for the sake of comedy, which is one of the main reasons that people listen to our wonderful
1: podcast. So I don't think that counts. That doesn't count as a mistake. Okay. So let's move on to the actual mistakes. Okay. But you you weren't doing a bit about Bob Seger.
0: You really thought – I. Misremembered. I thought the heart of rock and roll was by Bob Seeger because I realized I was conflating it with his song "Old Time Rock and Roll," right? Which is another celebration of of
1: rock and roll. Yeah, there are there are a number of songs about there are a number. Oh my of god! god even Led Zeppelin has a song rock called "Rock and Roll." Yeah, yeah, it's a thing.
0: That's so dumb. What other genre of music? write songs about, do they do that in jazz? Yeah. I guess that, does jazz do, well, jazz doesn't really have lyrics. That's a good question. Rap music will have a lot of songs about how you're good at rapping, but they don't have songs about like, rap is terrific. Let's listen to rap. I love rap. You know what I mean? Now, School D on his first album, the self-titled Schooly D, which was recorded in his bathroom, the first song on that album is called I Don't Like Rock and Roll and it samples Joan Jett's I Love Rock and Roll. So I guess in a way School D, is a, that's a celebration of rap. But I think it's rock music that it, that has the the status anxiety such that every so often we have this hit song about how everyone should keep listening to rock and roll because it's really good. Right. And so in the Bob Seger song Old Time Rock and Roll, he says take those records off the shelf. This new music sucks. It's made by Latinos and homosexual. I mean, that's the subtext. It sounds like an anti-disco song, right? Uh-huh. And that was why people hated disco because it was a it was a queer community of color that was driving a lot of disco, right? So it was a very reactionary movement when they were burning disco records. Like it's really ugly. Hmm. That's always what I thought of. And then the heart of rock and roll is in Cleveland. I thought, oh, that's got to be Bob Seger because that was kind of like his wheelhouse songs about how great rock is. So that was an honest mistake. And I apologize to Bob Seger and his band of werewolf hunters. And I also apologize to Huey Lewis and his band of journalists
1: for uh, getting the authorship of that hit song incorrect. And I apologize for not correcting you on on that. Uh, The other mistake was uh, I made uh, uh, several mistakes as well. I referred to uh, 10,000 leagues under the sea, and apparently it's 20,000 leagues, of course, under the sea.
0: 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea is the name of the intellectual property that was used by Disney in a movie, it turns out, and then turned
1: into an uh, aquatic theme ride. Right. It was replaced by Finding Nemo. And you said it was replaced by Little Nemo. And I would have never known the difference between the two of those. Yep.
0: And that was that was my mistake. And mine. Finding Nemo is a f- famous cartoon. Little Fish Goes Missing. And that's what the 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea ride is now, Finding Nemo. But for some reason, I said Little Nemo, and that's an apology. If we can circle back to the 20,000 Leagues thing, John, this is interesting. We got a dispatch from listener, Chris, who said, the 20,000 Leagues is actually not a reference to depth. I always thought it was like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Wait, is it Under the Sea or Beneath the Sea? What if we just make another mistake?
1: No, it's Under the Sea. Okay,
0: I always thought that meant that they went under the sea to a depth of 20,000 leagues, but that's not what it means. It's a reference to how far they traveled while submerged. A league is three nautical miles, writes Chris, or about 5.6 kilometers. The diameter of the earth is only 12,750 kilometers. So 20,000 leagues under the sea would be all the way through the planet and out into space. Did you know that? They're saying we travel 20,000 leagues like horizontally whilst under the sea.
1: I don't understand this part about going into space.
0: He's saying that if you really traveled 20,000 leagues down under the sea you would go all the way through the earth and out the other side into outer space. Right. Okay. That's all now that is. I, now which I itself would be a cool movie.
1: Yeah. And now John there's another error. Okay, yeah, the other error uh, and and you yeah. Apparently Epcot or as it was originally known Epcot Center it's not called that anymore it's called Epcot which stands for something prototype community experimental of prototype
0: the, city of the future so right, or
1: tomorrow right which uh has something to do with world culture and countries um so that there are countries in You Epcot. thought it was
0: all about like
1: color televisions and fax machines and medical robots? Well, half of it is. the And the original part was. And the last time I was at Epcot was, I don't know, 40 years ago. So I was just a kid. And that's all I remember of it. So I apologize. Uh, and apparently, the countries were a big part of it, even when I went to it, which w- I think it was the first year that it opened, but it doesn't, it's a, not a good branding situation. I don't know why the countries are a part of it. It's called Epcot. It's all about technology in the future. And then they're like celebrating, you know, German bratwurst and, uh, you know, other things. It's true. I
0: mean, even as a kid, I felt like it was a little unfocused. It felt like they just had some ideas and they were like, well, we can't, we don't have the money to make Technology world and country world. Yeah, but I, so I, I was wrong. Sorry. So those are the mistakes. That was good. That 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 felt like the right thing to do. We should always
1: acknowledge when we when we make mistakes, right? We do. We always do. Okay. We try. We try. So uh, Ron DeSantis has had a great week. What happened? Uh, he continues to fall further and further and further in the polls, and. This morning, there was a clip of him. Oh my God, this clip. You would not get off my ass about watching this clip. Did you watch it? Yeah, it's good. I have to say it is very good. (laughs) He is, how would you describe his attitude? Just like bitchy?
0: Someone asks him, what are you going to do about the fact that you're falling in the presidential polls? And he says, well, I'm not running yet, so I don't care or something like that. (laughs) Uh, But his face- he looks he looks circuit bent. He it looks like somebody went into a circuit board and started just poking around with a soldering iron. Because he's it feels like a glitch, like
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some people were referring to that um fake viral video of hillary that looked like she was having a seizure
0: oh right with her head jerking back and forth yeah Yeah. and
1: they've reversed the footage to make it look like she's doing it over and over and over but in this case the footage is uh real yeah he said i'm not a candidate so we'll see if and when that changes that bros and then while he's saying it he's got this smile on his face he just he looks like he's pretty depressed he looks like a depressed guy Speaking as a depressed person, I I I look at Ron DeSantis' face, and I go, "Yeah, that's how I would look if I were the governor."
0: Shame, recognize shame, as it were.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You see him, and you think, "Yeah, he's a fellow traveler."
1: Yeah, I don't think he's going to make it.
0: No, I don't think he's even going to run. I think it, the die is cast. He he should have jumped in from the get go and defined the terms. Instead. He's been skulking around the edge of the election, ruining people's lives in Florida to burnish his Republican conservative bona fides. Meanwhile, Trump is dumping all over him with absolute glee. And Ron DeSantis is too weak to step up and really say what he feels, lest he alienate Trump's base, which he needs to win.
1: Right. So everyone's saying that this is his one shot, though. He's got to, you know, he's he's reached the point of no return of the plane where they have they can't put on the brakes. The, you have to take off. This is your best chance to get the plane in the air. If you hit the brakes, it's over. I kind of don't agree with that. I think it's over. I think it's over, and he has to hit the brakes. I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he can run. I don't think he can run either. And I and it's in and, and they may be right that it's not going to work for him in in four years either. But but it's definitely not going to work now.
0: When I bought all those shares, that Trump would not be the GOP nominee. Unpredicted. I wasn't thinking that he wouldn't be the nominee because there was another candidate out there who would beat him. It wasn't about the strength of other potential rivals to Trump. Trump is number one in the Republican Party, like he's the leader of the party. It was just that something will happen where he literally, and I mean literally, cannot be the nominee. Some legal or health-related issue. That's what I put all those $400 into. This is the wish bet of all wish bets. Right. It wasn't about the strength of Ron DeSantis or fucking Mike Pompeo or Nikki Haley or whom or whomever, you know, it was just that Trump's ankle bracelet that he'll be forced to wear will not allow him to run or something. So we'll see. But I agree. I don't think I don't think Ron DeSantis is going to be running for president.
1: Do you own real estate? Do you want to own real estate but aren't sure where to begin? Would you want to use the mortgage source that is in full agreement with the election profit maker's lifestyle? Do yourself a favor and go to the link found at www.pdxhomeloan.com. That's P as in Portland, D-X. HomeLoan.com to see how much better a mortgage experience can be. This week's episode is sponsored by Chapel Hill High School grad James Adair and his Home Ownership 360 team at Neo Home Loans to provide all manner of professional mortgage advice. The Home Ownership 360 team has access to the finest array of residential mortgage programs for just about every scenario. Conforming, Jumbo, FHA, VA and USDA loans can all be had on the Neo Home Loans platform. Even if you're not presently in the market for a mortgage right now, the mission of the Home Ownership 360 team is to help you create 100% confidence around your next real estate move, even if it is years away. To begin your journey, go to pdxhomeloan.com and start accessing the toolkit you'll need to become a successful homeowner. James Adair
0: Individual NMLS License 272766 NEO Home Loans is powered by Luminate Home Loans NMLS 150953, a wholly owned subsidiary of Luminate Bank, which is an equal housing lender. James is based in Portland, but licensed in all states except New York and New Mexico.
1: Also, James went to the Whitney Houston concert. Oh my God, Whitney Houston. <laughs> we have so
0: many updates about this damn Whitney Houston concert. Oh my goodness gracious. We'll get to that. We're going to have to get to that in a in a.
1: In In a later episode, episode. yeah, yeah,
0: because I don't even have. We can't even talk about it in this episode because I have such a massive update about Edward Schofield, author of Ronald Reagan: B Actor, A President.
1: Okay, yeah, let's get to that. Let's. Can
0: we get into that? Yeah, I'm going to begin, friends, by reading another selection from the book Reagan: B Actor, A President. This is Chapter Three, The Reagan Campaign for President: Its Final Critical Days. This is Edward Schofield writing. I was sawing wood for the winter at my high mountain Anza Ranch, 30 miles uphill from my residence in Palm Desert in California, when my outside telephone loudly sounded, beckoning me inside the house. It kept honking impatiently. I was covered with sawdust as I picked up the receiver. An unfamiliar voice greeted me amiably. My name is Chuck Crawford. Bob Gray asked me to call you. He is in a meeting or he would have called you himself. Chuck Crawford was communications assistant to Robert Gray, communications director on Governor Reagan's campaign staff. We've all been reading the material you've been sending, he continued. Great stuff. We need ideas, and you sure have some good ones. Thanks, I answered. I received an appreciative letter from Bob the other day. The letter is um, included, the uh, facsimile of the letter is included on the page opposite. Since then, he continued, we have received your mailgram recommending that we relent our stand not to debate Jimmy Carter. We've decided to take your advice, and that's why I'm calling you. We were wondering if you would shoot us your ideas on how the governor should handle the issues. I'll send them out today, I promised. I spoke with John Jesser, staff member, yesterday about some campaign issues. He seemed to like them. Give him my regards. I hung up, brushed the sawdust off my shirt and Levi's. I sat down at my rusty portable typewriter. I cursed the fact that after all those years pounding standard standard, <laughs> I cursed the fact that after all those years pounding standard typewriters, I do not seem capable of learning to type on an electric one. A few hours later, the requested suggestions were finished. I hopped into my dune buggy and posted them at the tiny Anza post office located in the valley several hundred feet below my ranch. I often ran into Red Skelton, who also lives in Anza, when he was picking up his mail. I first met Red when he was put under contract by MGM Studios and on and on and on. Okay, friends. Here's the, Here are the updates, and I have quite a few regarding this um, this man, Edward Schofield, his book, and the estate sale that I went to a week ago when I fell down this wormhole because I found a Celebrate Rifles album in the midst of all of his records. I went back to the estate sale this weekend, friends. I went back to I'm – not, I'm not proud to admit it. I went back twice. <laughs> I have spent the entire weekend either purchasing, reading, or ruminating upon the works of Edward Schofield. John, I also got you a gift. I got you one of his neckties that I will be sending to you in the mail. Oh, Edward Schofield, it turns out, I think, according to my research, and I will say from the get go, there's not a lot of Internet information about this man. He was of a generation that did not live their lives online. However, my research that I was doing until late into the night last night, (laughs) coupled with my decision to read this book in its entirety from cover to cover in, you know, from beginning to end. I haven't finished it, but I've read enough of it to learn a lot about him. First of all, I don't think Ed Schofield is his real name. We'll get to his real name in a minute, but I don't think that's his real name. Second of all, I believe he lived to be 107 years old. Hmm. Uh, Thirdly, I do believe that he did not have family, although I have a theory as to who his wife may or may not have been, although it could be his sister. Fourthly, yesterday, On my third visit to the estate sale, I literally, and I do mean literally, went through every LP in his massive collection looking for more obscure. Australian garage rock records from the 80s or just anything out of character. Something else that would be a companion piece to the Celibate Rifles album. I said, maybe I'll find a Mission of Burma album or a Jandek record. No, the Celibate Rifles album it was the only such record in the entire collection. He had probably every Burl Ives record ever recorded. He had enough easy listening instrumental albums to to, to furnish a goodwill record bin for the next decade. He also had a lot of how to be a businessman records put out by the there used to be a label called businessmen's record label, I think it's called. And they put out LP records about how to close a sale, how to be a good negotiator, how to use a telephone to your best advantage. And I grabbed all those because I don't know why I I used to collect those types of things. Um, The long and the short of it is the celibate rifles LP was a complete and utter anomaly, which makes me think that our listener from Australia who wrote in last week, And said that he wondered if there was a familial connection between the dad or professional connection, I should say, between the father of the celibate rifle singer and Edward Schofield. I think there might be something to that because nothing else makes sense. And so at the end of my little dispatch here, I'm going to ask another listener to do me a favor, but we'll get to that in a minute. John, don't let me forget about that. Now, I say all that to say this. I am really getting a handle on this guy, Edward Schofield. And I also now am in possession of many, many copies of his book. Reagan B actor, a president. I probably have more copies of this book than anyone in the world right now, including the current owner of his house. Because when I showed up the estate sale on Saturday, he was like, oh, you're back. And I said, yeah, did you get my postcard? He said, you mailed me a postcard? I said, yeah, I wrote you a postcard to this address asking if I could have more copies of the book. He said, well, I didn't get your postcard, but knock yourself out. You can take as many books as you want. John, not only did I take multiple copies of the book, I also walked off with the actual paste up manuscript of the book. What which Schofield had held I have the actual man the thing they made the printing plates from with the every you know with the with the printers tape and the blue wow. printers pencil and I actually have the actual printing plates for the title. The actual metal printing plates were included. Okay. I'm I'm like Doris Kearns Goodwin. Like I'm it's such a history buff now. Yeah. I could not sleep last night, my mind was racing. So listen to this. Edward Schofield I had said, I think he knew Ronald Reagan from showbiz, the way he writes to him. And reading the book from cover to cover, here's the deal. Edward Schofield was Ronald Reagan's publicist at Warner Brothers in the 1940s when Reagan was starting out. Hmm. They were both new to the industry. Edward Schofield, to hear him tell it, and he does tell it because the introduction to his book is kind of just him presenting his life story so that we understand he's an authority on all things Ronald Reagan and publicity. He was a young, a, a young whiz kid publicist at the War- at Warner Brothers in the 40s. He um, went on to have a lot of success. He brags about owning three different houses, including his ranch in Anza, California, which was referenced in the in the section I read. He also says he was, quote, unquote, the first publicist in Las Vegas, whatever that means. He also, John, owned a limousine because at one point he re- he recreates in his book a letter where he says to somebody, "Great, I'll come by and pick you up in a in my limo. It'll be a good excuse to drive my limo." I think this guy was just driving around in a limousine. This wonderful man. Wow. Okay. The book opens with Edward Schofield recounting his life story, and then the and then the following chapter. Then the let me find the following. This is one of those things where you read it and and you're filled with a love for all of humanity. Like he follows that with a movie pitch. He says, "I have a great idea for a movie and I'm going to and I'm going to write write out my movie pitch here." Then he proceeds to retell his life story but in the third person. Okay? So first he presents his life story and he's like, "Oh, that's not good enough for you? What if it was a movie?" Then he tells it again in the third person because he wants it to be a blockbuster movie he suggests that it has it, that it's a modern day Mr. Smith goes to Washington okay it's about this whiz kid publicist who leaves the publicity field becomes an attorney has some issues with the California Bar Association that he only alludes to stops being an attorney then becomes like a psychological expert and a motivational speaker who travels around the world and apparently had an audience with the Vatican with his ideas about this uh, the, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot to process and I'm still processing it. Long story short, after he's done describing this movie, he says, it's a modern day Mr. Smith goes to Washington and I think Frank Capra Jr. should direct it because this is very much in the spirit of these Frank Capra movies. Now, why did he pitch this movie within the pages of the book? It turns out it's for the same reasons that he published the book in the first place. This book takes place, it turns out, over the course of one year. It starts with the summer before the 1980 election. It starts in the summer of 1980. And the last correspondences that are produced are in the summer of 1981. And when you read this book cover to cover, you realize, along with Edward Schofield, there's this really poignant, dawning revelation that although he was Ronald Reagan's publicist, and he and Ronald Reagan used to talk on the phone, over the course of the year, over the course of the book, you and he realize not only is Ronald Reagan not following my advice that I keep sending to him for free out of the goodness of my heart and my, my my enthusiasm to benefit humanity? He's probably not reading these letters because his political staffers don't just let any old piece of mail fall across his desk. Not only that, Ronald Reagan probably doesn't even know I'm writing to him, even though he is... <laughs> Very poignantly signing his letters, sincerely, your former Warner Brothers publicist, Edward Schofield. And over the course of the book, as the as the as the stock responses from Reagan staffers get fewer and fewer far between, Schofield he now he is a he is a true twentieth century man, a true publicist. There he he doesn't allow any shadings of bitterness or anger to seep through. It's more just like, gosh darn, this is well, this is a this is a real kerfuffle. They're not even taking my wonderful advice. I'm starting to wonder if if Governor Reagan is even reading my advice. He declined my invitation to the to the Warner Brothers class of 1940 reunion party, which is something he invited Reagan to in the midst of a presidential campaign because he thought it would be good publicity for Ronald Reagan to celebrate his Hollywood showbiz roots. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan did not show up at that party, even though Edward Schofield had somehow gained access to Governor Reagan's schedule and knew he was free and in California on the evening of self-same party, then sent a letter to the campaign saying how disappointed he was that Reagan declined his invitation to go to the Warner Brothers party. Which featured many movie stars from the 1940s. Okay.
1: Uh, I, do, do Was Reagan reading any of these? Did any of these get to Reagan? Any of them? Surely something got to Reagan.
0: Like any obsessed letter writer – this collection of correspondence includes not just his missives, but also any replies he got, no matter how curt and, and, and standardized right. they are. Right. He reproduces them in their entirety, right? Thank you for your letter. We'll be sure to pass this along to the governor. I think Reagan wasn't reading this guy's stuff. You know, I don't think he was. Uh, he and had to read. He pro-
1: probably all he probably had to do was read one and then just be like, yeah, this is my old publicist. This guy's a nut. I don't I don't need any more. But surely, if some if some crazy person was writing me letters and letters and letters and letters and letters, you would have someone on your staff open the letters and look at them? Or would you just throw them in the Schofield slush pile? Okay, well, yeah, if they're all going to say somebody's like one of our listeners is doing that, they're all going to contact the election profit makers or whatever. I mean, at some point, I want maybe you to forward one of them to, to me. So I'll just take a look at it.
0: Right. Now, here's the thing about the content of the letters. The le- the content of his letters are by far the least interesting thing about this entire project.
1: You know, it's the project that's the thing. It's the thing.
0: project itself that's interesting. His ideas are not revolutionary. It's it's again, he feels like the ultimate 20th century man. His his house at the estate sale, his study where I copped all the copies of this book that he wrote is filled with pop psychology books of he was really into abraham maslow you know the legendary 20th century hierarchy of needs that guy was really into maslow he's really into numerology he was just casting he was into ideas he has all these books about numerology books about ancient aliens he's got he's got the entire 20th century pop psychology self-help you know esoteric weird stuff He, he was he was trying everything but the stuff that he sent to reagan is all like it's on the level of like People want an enthusiastic leader who brings out the best, so that they'll get off welfare and get a job, and that'll be rewarding. And we can all get along for the first time in human history. Why don't we not use strategy when dealing with foreign countries? Because that implies deception. Let's speak to our enemies openly and honestly, so that yeah. we can all have a good time and get along. To, it's stuff like that. Like, okay, yeah. there are a couple of interesting things, though. He was, re- and this is this this we find that there's a parallel to today's GOP and the situation they're in. Reagan, I forgot this or never knew this. Reagan at one time proposed a constitutional amendment to outlaw abortion, and he says that it's a terrible idea, that you're going to alienate voters by taking a hardcore pro-life stance. I thought that was kind of interesting. Like, the guy mm-hmm. is not a right-wing maniac. At least he doesn't right. present as a right-wing maniac. He, he's a, he is a publicist through and through, and he basically thinks that, that there's no national problem that can't be solved with a little... Uplifting publicity, basically. The guy suggests that Ronald Reagan create a national director of publicity, a cabinet level position. I love it. A cabinet level position called director of communications to spin the news to boost America at home and abroad. Now, who do you think he would? Who do you think he had in mind to fill that Mm -hmm. position? (laughs) To become the PR director of the entire country of America.
1: But here's the here's the here's the thought that just crossed my mind. This guy, uh, unfortunately, was was connected with Reagan. Imagine if he was connected with someone like Trump. Every single one of these letters would have been read and Trump would have responded and acted on many of them and hired him and fired him and rehired him. Absolutely. This guy was ahead of his time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And didn't Trump also
0: impersonate his own publicist? Didn't Trump call the yes. tabloids back in the day under a fake name saying he was Trump's publicist?
1: Yes. We actually have audio of him. Right. Of the calls. Right. Yes.
0: So this 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 avatar of the entire 20th century, or at least in California, as far as I'm concerned, Edward Schofield, as I go through this book, I mean, so, it's not. He can write like it's a breezy read. It's just the ideas are like really kind of anodyne and boring. You know, he's constantly creating um, organizations and institutions that are all just him. But he has all these organizations that he's created to give himself the sheen of responsibility. Like I'll also be seeing the Center for American Psychological Studies. You know, it's like it's just him. Yeah. So. I really wanted to find an obituary for this guy because I've been haunted by the fact that his house was just left, you know, as it more or less appeared probably when he passed away with no heirs, no kids or anything like that. And the current Mm -hmm. owner of the house, this guy that I've befriended, Mike, who bought the house and is obviously going to fix it up and flip it has no interest in the book and no inter- like I had to explain to him who Edward Schofield was he was like so who was this guy I was like oh you you haven't you mean you haven't read his letters this this guy was Ronald Reagan's publicist and he had all these ideas about how to and Mike's like uh-huh uh uh-huh, yeah you can take as many books as you want because they're going to the dump or whatever you know what I mean like so I really yeah. wanted to he's, find he's
1: no- he's your Reagan and you're you yeah Schofield exactly it's,
0: exactly it's happening all over again right yeah. like right. don't you want to hear about this don't you want to hear about this he's like uh-huh talk to my staff <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to move the silverware. So I really wanted to find an obituary for Schofield. And I couldn't find one anywhere. And, you know, once you start looking for someone's name and their location or whatever, then you start to hit all these shady websites that are like, we'll find anything about anyone you know, but be yeah, warned.
1: Spokio.biz. And so yeah. I
0: went down a rabbit hole with one of these ones called like true dot fart or whatever, oh God. Made God. me wait online for 10 minutes before it said I couldn't see anything until it billed me. But it did. But it but it was useful because it did that thing that sometimes happens with like credit checks or whatever, where it said, OK, they said, OK, we found some Edward Schofields. You know what? why it makes you wait for 10 minutes sunk cost fallacy i assume right yeah it's a not it's thing. not
1: actually it's like we're we're looking at billions of documents right now it's not looking at anything yeah it's exactly just, it was like yeah. now
0: it's going to take us 30 seconds to scan all the dating websites and we might right. find some scan i was like you're not this dude is yeah.
1: 170 yeah, he's not going to exactly.
0: be on tinder <laughs> exactly. so but in the course of their search they said okay we've got some edward schofields here this one could they start asking you questions did he reside in anza california yes he did i know that much about him from his own text right mm-hmm. then they say okay did he associate with so and so and so two na- two women's names and i was like aha that could be good so i start googling those women's names one of those women's names was elaine pike so i google edward schofield plus elaine pike And according to the website I'm on, this is the Schofield who is 107 years old. And that actually tracks because if he was a publicist working with Ronald Reagan in the 40s, okay, let's say he was in his early to mid-20s at -hmm. that point, right? Now when he's writing the book to Reagan, it's already 40 years later. So he's in his 60s, right? And that was 40 years ago from today. So it makes sense that he would be in his hundreds. So I'm really excited, right? Right. I Google Edward Schofield plus Elaine Pike, and that's when I find out that Edward Schofield might not be his actual name. Edward Schofield once owned a historic home in Brentwood. He owned what's known as the Sturgis House, which is a small house built by Frank Lloyd Wright in Brentwood. It's the only such Frank Lloyd Wright house in Los Angeles that was built in this style. The records on the Frank Lloyd Wright website show that the house was sold after its construction to Edward Schofield, and then in parentheses it says, a.k.a. Henry Schwartz. And that resonated with me because I had found other documents where I started to wonder if his name was actually Henry Edward Schofield, that he was using his middle name as his first name, then come to find out that his actual name might be Henry Schwartz rather than Schofield. Because later in the timeline of the ownership of this house, it is sold to Elaine Pike. So now I'm thinking, okay, we definitely have a connection between Elaine Pike and, you know. then Edward Schofield, who might mm-hmm. also be Henry Schwartz, I don't know if that's the same Edward Schofield that I'm dealing with. The timeline makes sense. Yeah. If he's a hot young publicist, maybe he did buy a Frank Lloyd Wright house that was built in the 30s in Brentwood. That all makes sense. It's not implausible. But how do I know this is the Edward Schofield? And then, John, I confirmed it. When I went to the estate sale yesterday, I picked up a bunch of snapshots you know, there's just a huge tub of letters and correspondence and snapshots. And I figured, let me grab a bunch of random snapshots. Some of the snapshots are photographs of charts and diagrams. They, they seem like self-helpy and astrological. He was also really into astrology. There was actually a collection. I sh- should have grabbed this. He had a collection of, of the Zodiac readings of American cities. Astrology for cities. I love it. Based on when the city was founded, can you they had get astrological a copy of that? Charts. What's that?
1: Can you get a copy of that for me?
0: I know, right? This is why I'm gonna. This is why at the end of my little lesson here, I'm gonna enlist a, a, a EPM listener to go do some field research for us. Okay. okay. So this photograph that I'm holding, you can see, is a faded photograph of a massive handwritten chart that's on a wall, and the chart is called mat- Master Personality Chart Self Discovery Series. I think Edward Schofield in his years of flying around the world and trying to convince world leaders to follow his – he had this whole idea that psychology could become a true science. Okay, That was his goal. Mm -hmm. He thought cause and effect psychologically was an ironclad rule of life. And that if we could understand the psychological reasons that we do stuff, we could solve all problems. And I agree with that after hearing about Tucker Carlson's mom and how that led him down to fucking fascism. Like That all makes sense to me. He had this group, I think, based on these photographs called the Self-Discovery Series. Now, the Master Personality Chart is a list of names and then a list of characteristics or psychological qualities. And here, and based on the information on this chart, I think this was a reading group or an encounter group that met every week. And every week at the end of the session, they would score their fellow self-discoverers with uh, on a scale of, I think it's one to six based on different psychological traits. So they could keep track of how they were doing in terms of, let me put on my fucking pencil sharpening goggles here. I can't read it. In terms of stuff like envy, despair, guilt, hostility, narcissism, faith, love. Now, the first name on the chart, on the left-hand column is E. Schofield. And then two names down from that, is E. Pike. That's Elaine Pike, who mm-hmm. bought the Frank Lloyd Wright house from Edward Schofield, AKA Henry Schwartz. They were, and also Elaine scores the best of anyone on this chart. I ran the numbers, John. Elaine has the lowest score when it comes to the anxieties and neuroses that they're tracking on this chart. Hmm. So I think Elaine Pike was Edward Schofield's wife. So there's one. <laughs> I'm going to end with this one last little thing. There's one moment in this book that I read last night that's actually really chilling and puts all of this stuff it brings all of these all these things into focus this this kind of wide-eyed, completely sincere public relations official who hasn't been in the field for decades trying to convince the future president, to listen to his advice, to basically appoint him to his cabinet to serve as a public relations guru to save America's reputation. All this like idealism and um, bl- uh, w- I don't know what the word is. Like this guy has a million blind spots, okay? This guy has more hmm. blind spots than I do. This, this one type of personality running up against the actual dark-hearted machinations of real political um, savvy, A savviness of an evil sort. He's writing to William Casey, who's running Reagan's campaign. We'll remember that William Casey goes on to become the director of the CIA, right? He's writing to William Casey in the summer of 1980, the height of the campaign, saying, why don't you appoint a director of public relations? then Then we could argue against Cuba and show that communism is not good. He gets a letter back on June 19th, 1980. Dear Mr. Schofield, this is just a note to acknowledge your note and material for Mr. William Casey, which arrived today in his absence from the office. He is traveling and plans to return to the Los Angeles area next week, at which time your material will be called to his attention. Sincerely, Secretary to William J. Casey. I put it together in my mind last night. Summer of 1980, Ed Schofield writing to William Casey, begging him to be more PR savvy when it comes to the Reagan campaign to recognize the power of public relations. What is William Casey so busy doing in the summer of 1980? William Casey, as we recently learned in the New York Times, was masterminding a campaign, a trip that his subordinates took to the Middle East to convince (sighs) our allies to send a message to the fucking Iranian government to keep our hostages in confinement until after the election. My the ultimate mind is PR blown. Coup.
1: Whoa. The, the
0: type of public relations savvy and evil that our poor Ed Schofield could never imagine in a million years because he's a big idealistic dork. William Casey must have read his letter and been like, oh, you think I don't know about <laughs> public relations and the power of public relations? Motherfucker, I'm convincing an enemy government. To keep our hostages longer than they have to so that I can spin this. And the other thing is, I'm never going to let the hostages know that I did this, that I prolonged their imprisonment on behalf of a political candidate so it would look good and nice when they were released after the election. I mean, that that says it all. Like there was no hope for Edward Schofield in this world. No hope at all. I'm blown away. That's incredible. Jesus. Jesus. Mr. Smith. This guy thought he was Mr. Smith goes to Washington. Why, Mr. Casey, we've got to tell Ronald Reagan <laughs> to go on television with a twinkle in his eye and talk yeah. about how America is good. Yeah. That'll win the election. Well, in Casey's yeah.
1: like, yeah, I got other plans, dude. Yeah. 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 We got this. We got this. We got a plan. We got a nice plan. Yeah. Nice plan. <laughs> oh. This is the tip of the
0: iceberg with all the discoveries I've made about this person, this, this 20th century man who slowly starts to realize and by the end of the book is actually writing about the fact that once Ronald Reagan became a politician, access to him was closed off. By staff members because as Edward Schofield acknowledges, well, he pro- it's probably hard to reach my old friend, Ronald Reagan now, because he's probably surrounded by staff members who are, who are wary of him being accosted by cranks and weirdos. But that's not what I am. I am his hey. former publicist and I have all these amazing ideas about how to solve the problems of America. It's a really incredible book. So now I have a couple announcements to make. Here are the action items. Friends, I have so many copies of this book. Ronald Reagan, B, actor, A, president. Which is not only one year solid of Edward Schofield's correspondence to the once governor, now future president, filled with his banal ideas about how to change the course of American and human history. It is also unintentionally a portrait of a certain type of entitled idealistic man running up against the fact that no one is listening to him. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think its value and its pathos or however you say that word, that's where it truly lies. Friends, if you are a Patreon supporter at the $10 level, all you have to do is send an email to contact at electionprofitmakers.com, subject line book, and include your mailing address. I will send you a copy of this book so that I can do what Edward Schofield failed to do which is to disperse these world-changing ideas far and wide among America's elites so that we can finally usher in the golden age that he so desperately wanted for his beloved country of America. I have limited supplies of this book, but I have a lot of them. So if you want a copy of this book and you're a $10 a month Patreon supporter, send an email to contacted election profit makers, again, subject line book, Include your current mailing address. I would be happy to mail you one of Edward Schofield's book. Now we turn to the real mission critical phase of this operation. When I left the estate sale yesterday, I shook Mike's hand and said, thanks for the books. Good luck with the renovation. It's been nice talking to you over low these many weeks that I've been haunting your estate sale. And then he said, I'll see you again. Or like he said something, you'll be back. I thought he was done with the estate sale. I I thought it was over. But hmm. I think he might run it one more weekend because there were a lot of people there yesterday going through. I mean, I listen, did I buy some of Edward Schofield's pillowcases so that I can rest where his head rested? Yes, I did. <laughs> did I try on some of his old polyester wide lapel blazers? Yes, I did. Unfortunately, they were too boxy and the sleeves were too short, so I didn't walk off with any of them. But I think the estate sale is going to continue for one more week. Now, I forgot – In my desperation to walk out with as many books as possible, I forgot to check the Tupperware bin full of correspondence to see if there was a letter from the Australian father of the lead singer of the Celibate Rifles. If maybe, maybe, I'm hoping against hope that maybe somewhere in there, there's a card or a letter that says, hey, Edward, pursuant to our correspondence of earlier this year, please find and close my son's garage rock record. I hope you enjoy it. It's no Burl lives, but then again, what is? I don't feel comfortable going back to this estate sale. I think if I go back for a fourth time, Mike will start to wonder if something's up and start charging me too much for the ephemera that I'm walking off with because they'll be like, Mm. wait a minute, something's going on. So I need a secret agent from the Election Profit Makers West Coast Division, the Best Coast Division, to reach out to me at contact at electionprofitmakers.com. If I find out the estate sale is happening next weekend, I need to activate you like a sleeper cell and say, I need you to go to this estate sale. And walk in and say, "Oh, look at this! Well, I had no idea. You know, I love ephemera. Can I just have all these letters? There's two and there's two tubs. There's a tub that seems to be business correspondence, and there's a tub that seems to be personal correspondence, like Christmas cards, get well soon cards. I want both tubs. I want to double tub this because mm-hmm. I'm going to go through them and see if there's a letter that explains the celibate Rifles LP. But again, I don't feel comfortable going back to the estate sale. So if you're up for that again, Contact electionprofitmakers.com. reach reach out and and we'll work and we'll work something out. So that's what I've been doing for the past week, John. And I have to say, if this is what historians do all day, this is this is this has been so exciting. And this guy's not even that important. You know what I mean? Like no. Like you are making him important. You are you are bringing him back to life. You know what it reminds me of? Remember when I found my grandma's teenage diaries? Yeah. I never knew either of my grandmothers. And then my parents were cleaning out the house and we found this box and I was like, what are those? And my dad was like, oh, these are my mom's diaries from when she was 16 years old, living in Gloversville, New York, chasing boys and eating ice cream on the porch every night. Mm -hmm. And reading those was completely overwhelming for obvious reasons. You know, it was this intimate connection with this person I never knew who was my dad's mom. And she and I'm reading them as she's 16 years old and she's just like Mm -hmm. living, living life. You know what I mean? Like they're. But it's also the magic of pri- this must be, you know, the magic of primary sources, the the magic of being one step removed from a different consciousness, even though you're decades removed in, in time. Right. You're You're reading stuff in their hand, you know, like it's it's a really great feeling. Like, is that what historians do? They look back to the past because that shit is incredible.
1: Yeah, that is. Yeah. I'm going to get a history. I'm going to get a history degree. I think it's so fun. You need to get all those letters. Definitely. If someone reaches out and
0: agrees to infiltrate this estate sale, should it happen again? We'll also need for John the collection of um, astrological signs of major American cities. Because I really should have grabbed that because that's also pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. I'm going to be really disappointed if Charlotte is not in there.
0: We got a lot of great letters. But let's save those for next week. Along, along with our incredible Whitney Houston update, because there have been multiple twists and turns in the other mystery we've been trying to solve, which is who who at John who among John Kimball's family was at this Whitney Houston concert? The answer may surprise you. Yeah. Stay but tuned. We'll get to that next week. Yeah
1: election profit makers is an independent production we welcome your support on patreon at patreon.com election profit send your election prediction questions to contact at electionprofitmakers.com and if you want to advertise with us email contact at electionprofitmakers.com goodbye bye bye